This morning's reading comes from Joshua 14, 6 through 15. Caleb requests his land. A delegation from the tribe of Judah, led by Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenzedite, came to Joshua at Gigal. Caleb said to Joshua, Remember what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, about you and me when we were at Kadesh Barnea? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave from my heart a good report. But my brothers who went with me frightened the people and discouraged them from entering the promised land. For my part, I follow the Lord my God completely. So that day, Moses promised me, the land of Canaan in which you were just walking will be your special possession and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord our God. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all of these 45 years since Moses made this promise even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today I'm 85 years old. I'm as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So I'm asking you to give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as we scouts found the Anakites living there in great walled cities, but if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave Hebron to him as his inheritance. Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kinizite, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Previously, Hebron had been called Kariah Arba. It had been named after Arba, a great hero of the Anakites, and the land had rest from war. Esther went out visiting his church members on a Saturday afternoon. At one house, it was obvious that someone was home, but nobody came to the door, even though the pastor knocked and knocked and knocked. Finally, the pastor took out his church business card and wrote Revelation 3.20 on the back. It said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. And so he stuck the little business card in the door. Well, the next morning, the pastor's card turned up in the offering plate. And below the preacher's message was written the following from Genesis 3.10. I heard your voice in the garden... And I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. (laughs) Now, we know that Eden was a perfect place. In Genesis chapter 2, it tells us that it was a place of contentment, and it was a place of joy. Mankind was created to care for and enjoy this place. And when God created man... In Genesis 2.25, this is what we're told. Now, the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Now, the word for naked here is actually an adjective. 
it describes the condition in which God had made them. But then comes that crafty serpent. He comes into the picture and he tempts them into sinning against God. He enticed them to doubt God's word. He convinced them that God's word did not apply to them. And so they sinned. And then things changed. They felt shame for their nakedness. And they hid from God. And when God came after and sought after them, Adam confessed his nakedness. And then God replies in Genesis 3.11, Who told you that you were naked? The Lord asked. God's statement suggests that someone had told them that they were naked. We kind of assume, well, wouldn't they just know that they were naked? No, God's question suggests that someone told them that. Because there are two different words used here for naked. Before it was an adjective, it was describing a transparency, this openness about being bare with one another without shame. But after the fall, the word used for naked is now a noun. Before it meant just stripped bare. Now it means exposed. Before it was a description. Now it's actually who they are. And so if we were to paraphrase God's question to them, who told you that you were broken? You see, God created man to have fellowship with him. But Satan had designed a plan to destroy it. But God knew that man still had the potential for relationship. God knew that man still had the potential to live out the design of his creation. And God devised a plan that would repair that relationship. You see, God recognizes your potential. Your potential to be in relationship with him. And your potential to make a difference in the world for his glory. How people have treated you or what people have said about you does not change your potential. Disappointments and setbacks do not change your potential. All of us are filled with potential to be more, to do more, to achieve more for God's glory. But Satan still whispers in our ears, You're broken. You see, when Satan whispers, all you do goes unnoticed and unappreciated. God says, who told you that? I say I reward you for doing right. When Satan whispers, if you try, you're only going to fail. God asks, who told you that? I say those who delight in my word will prosper in all they do. When Satan whispers, you're getting ready to lose all you have. God says, who told you that? I say those who trust in me will lack no good thing. And when Satan whispers, you are a failure. 
God says, who told you that? I say those who follow my instructions will never stumble. You see, God says you can do all things through Christ Jesus. In Jesus Christ, we're not broken. We're his people filled with potential that need to stop listening to our enemy. The enemy doesn't want you to know your potential. Over the last several weeks, we've been reading through Joshua, and we've been given instructions on how to live, how to survive, how to love in ways that matter, instructions on how to battle. We've been taught to be strong and courageous because the Lord is faithful. We've been taught to believe by faith that no matter your past, like Rahab, God wants to write you a new story. We've learned that we need to have a heart that's willing to follow God, see where he's leading and chase after him. We've learned that we need to remember what the Lord has done. After the Israelites crossed the Jordan, they took 12 stones to build a memorial as a reminder of what God had delivered them from. Before the Battle of Jericho, we learned about the pain of circumcision. Circumcision of our hearts. We need to be prepared for the blessing. And sometimes circumcision is painful. But after the pain comes healing. And after the healing, we have a new encounter with God. And in the battle of Jericho, we learned that instructions have a purpose. Our obedience to God is revealed in our ability to follow his instructions. And last week, Debbie talked about being strong in our battles, and that sometimes the battles we find ourselves in aren't even ours to fight. And today, our text teaches us it matters who we listen to. Caleb was a man who knew how important it was to listen to the right voice. We're first introduced to him in Numbers chapter 13. He was one of the 12 spies that were sent into the promised land by Moses to scout it out. All 12 spies come back in agreement that, wow, what a fruitful land. It's a land of milk and honey, just like God promised. But then 10 of those spies, they come back and talk about how strong and fearful the enemy looked. They saw the Nephilim, and they felt like grasshoppers. They felt small and insignificant in comparison. Surely those giants will crush us. But Caleb and Joshua stood apart. They stood for God. They knew that if God had promised it, then it would come to pass. They knew that their God was greater than anything against them in Canaan. They knew God's promise to them from Exodus chapter 33. And I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Church, it doesn't matter what your situation appears to be. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It doesn't matter what the enemy is trying to tell you. What God says matters. It's who you're listening to 
that matters. See, part of our problem is that we're not trusting God's word. And then we start listening to the wrong voices. Those ten spies, they discouraged the whole nation of Israel. They filled them with fears. They sunk their spirits and made them feel weak, left them without any strength and without any hope. The enemy is going to do his best to intimidate us and make us think that our future has nothing but defeat in it. The Israelites weren't listening to God's voice. They were listening to the words of men. And so they balked at that opportunity before them, not believing that God truly could deliver them into that land. Then God got angry, and he decided to destroy them all. But Moses stepped in. And then the Lord said in Numbers chapter 14, I will pardon them as you have requested. But as surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will ever enter that land. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, They have tested me by, pay attention, refusing to listen to my voice. They will never even see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. But my servant Caleb, he has a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. You see, Caleb's attitude was different because of who he was listening to. He was listening to God, not the enemy, and not man. He was listening to God and declaring the people's potential to take the land because God was with them. Now, 45 years have passed. They've entered the promised land, and the land is being divided up. Now, you would have thought that Caleb's attitude had changed with age. After all this time, maybe just a little bit weary of wandering in the wilderness, a little bitter over what happened all those years ago. Maybe he even felt like he didn't have that potential anymore. But listen to Caleb make his request to Joshua after he retells the experience over again, starting in Joshua 14, verse 9. So that day Moses solemnly promised me, the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever because of your wholeheartedly following the Lord my God. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive, alive and well. And he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today, I'm 85 years old. I'm as strong now as when Moses sent me on that journey. And I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. 
But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. The people had tried to stop Caleb from living out his potential in God. They went as far to tell him that he was just a grasshopper to the giants. But God stepped in. Who told you that? You have declared your potential in my promises, and you will be rewarded for it, Caleb. And now here's Caleb, 85 years old, asking for the hill country, saying, give me the mountain. He's declaring his potential in God's promises. He's persevered all these years by listening to the voice of God and continuing to believe that the Lord will be with him through it all. We can imagine that the people tried to talk him out of taking the dangerous land. Caleb, you're too old to be a warrior. Wouldn't another piece of land where the enemy has already been conquered be better for you? You're much too old to go mountain climbing. You're much too old to go fighting. And God would say, who told you that? Remind them how because of your attitude, you still have as much potential now as you did 45 years ago. And we know that Caleb is listening to God. And we know that Caleb is believing God. Listen to what he says to back up his request. I'm as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey. And I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. Caleb was listening to God. He was not letting man dictate his future. We see a similar experience in David's story when he went up against Goliath. Just a side note, you know, Goliath is actually a descendant of these same giants that are in the hill country that Caleb is requesting. And so now, years later, David is coming out, and he's facing the same enemy. He was a young shepherd boy. He was bringing lunch to his brothers in the battlefield. And they were talking about what to do with this one giant, Goliath. And David starts asking all kinds of questions. So we pick up his story in 1 Samuel 17. But when David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. David tells Saul, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear come to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club. And I rescue the lamb from its mouth. 
If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. So Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. David believed in his potential to slay Goliath. He knew that the same God which had given him victories over the little things was going to give him victory over the big things too. He was not about to allow others to discourage him from reaching his potential in God's work. He would not allow others to tell him how to reach that potential. He believed in his potential and God's promises, and he walked in it. He trusted God's voice. He trusted God's voice and God's truth over all the other voices. When others said, you're just a harmless little shepherd boy, God said, who told you that? You're a warrior, David. When others said, you're not equipped for the task, God said, who told you that? You can do all things through me. David believed in his potential with God to slay the giant, and he did. Caleb and David didn't see the giants before them. They saw the big God that was there beside them. They didn't let the enemy steal God's victory from them. So when Goliath stood before the Israelites, they said, he's too big for us. We can never defeat him. But because David was listening to the voice of God, when he saw Goliath, he said, he's so big, I can't miss him. When the Israelites saw the size of the Nephilim, they felt like grasshoppers. But Caleb, who was listening to the voice of God, when he saw the Nephilim, he said, they're like grasshoppers in the shadow of this big and mighty God that I have. We need to stop listening to the voices of untruth around us, the voices that tell us our problems and our mountains are too big, and that we'll only be defeated. We need to realize that as a child of God, with the power of God, we are the giants. No matter what obstacle, what problem comes before us, it can't stop us from the good things that God has planned for us. Perhaps you hear the enemy whispering in your ear, you can't do this. You have no potential for the kingdom. You're too old. You're too young. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. And on and on and on. And God would say, who told you that? Because the Holy Spirit builds us up. Satan tears us down. Satan will tell you that you're all alone with no one to help. God says, who told you that? God says, I am your refuge and your strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Satan will tell you that you're too weak to do anything for God. And God says, who told you that? Those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. 
They'll soar high on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Satan wants to steal your prayer life. He'll tell you that prayer doesn't matter. He'll tell you that your prayers don't get answered. God says, who told you that? Jesus tells us, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Satan wants you to live with fear and doubt. God would say, who told you that? For God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and self-discipline. Satan wants you to think you're hopeless. Satan wants you to think that you're worthless. And God would say, who told you that? Because you are God's masterpiece. He has created you anew in Christ Jesus so that you can do the good things that he planned long ago. You see, God has plans for you and me. He has plans for your family. And he has plans for Sawgrass Community Church. And he has plans for this community. But if we listen to the voice of the enemy, if we listen to the voices of distraction and discouragement, We will never see our potential fulfilled in the kingdom of God. We have to realize who we are in Jesus. Because as children of God, we have the very power of God living inside of us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Church, we have the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit to help us conquer whatever mountain, whatever giants we face. In Christ, we have new life. In Christ, we have new victory and new joy, new fellowship in the family of God. But we have to be ready to grab a hold of it. And in that process, we have to silence the voice of the enemy and focus on the voice of truth. Caleb and David were able to focus on listening to God's voice to silence the enemy, to silence the discouragers, to silence the distractors. And when they focused on God's voice, they gained confidence in the Lord's ability to deliver them. They gained courage in the knowledge that God was fighting for them. And they were able to conquer giants because they believed God was bigger than anything they could ever face. We will face giants. And we will face mountains that appear to be huge challenges and obstacles. And then the question we need to ask ourselves, who are we listening to? In the 80s, there was a financial company called E.F. Hutton, and they had commercials. And in their commercials, someone would say, my broker is E.F. Hutton. And E.F. Hutton says... And every, everything in the commercial would stop, and everyone would lean in to hear what E.F. Hutton was saying. That's what we should be doing with God's word. We should be stopping and leaning into what God is telling us. But all too often, we focus on the negative. Did you know that researchers have actually done studies 
and they've determined that it takes at least five positive statements or comments to just one negative. So if you hear one negative thing said about you, it's going to take at least five other positive things to wash out that one negative. Some studies said it even took ten. Church, we need to be filled up with God's word. We need to hear this voice speaking life into us. But to hear God's voice, we must first belong to God. Jesus said, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Those who hear God's voice are those who belong to him, those who have been saved by his grace through faith in Jesus. These are the sheep who hear and recognize his voice because they know him as their shepherd. And if we're to recognize God's voice, we must first belong to him. And then we hear his voice when we spend time in his word, quiet study of his word. And the more time we spend intimately with God and his word, the easier it is to recognize his voice and drown out all the others. The more time we spend in here, the more we see him leading in our lives. I'll leave you with Paul's prayer for the Ephesians in chapter 1. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler, any giant, any mountain, or authority, or power, or leader, or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ. All things, not just some things. All things, whatever you are facing today, it is under the authority of Christ. Find your comfort and your peace in that. Christ is head over all things. And the church is his body, and it is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Who are you listening to? It matters. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. May it dig deep into our souls. May we be reminded of who we are listening to. May we fill up on your word so that it can wash out and drown the negative around us. Lord, because you are faithful. In you, we have life. In you, we have victory. In you, we have hope. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen.